go and turn to chapter, chapter 4 of Exodus. And as you turn there, um, I'm just going to tell you a little story just to kind of help us frame uh, the day, help us frame the message. So um, are any of you like super competitive? Like raise your hand if you're just super competitive. Let me see. Okay. We have like some people who are competitive and some people who are lying. So I love that. I love that. Because if you're not competitive, like what are we doing? So I'm really competitive, and uh, when I was in junior high, I, I remember I was in this basketball game, and, man, I was trying my best. I was like, come on, let's go. You know, I'm going to dunk on you, even though I was like four or five. I was like, come on, let's do this thing. And uh, anyway, so I'm playing, and, and all of a sudden I get fouled, and I'm just not doing good, and it's just kind of like one of those games that's just like the worst. And so I got so mad. Like, the, the coach takes me off the game, and I'm on the bench. I get so mad. And, like, I, I hit the seat, and I'm like, man, you know, oh, this is the worst. And just throw this whole fit. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a Hispanic mom before. But my mom, when I got in the car, was just silent. And I was like, hmm. Usually she tells me, good job, Misael, or hey, you know. But she was just silent. So I, so I was like, oh, man. So I get home, and uh, I'm really grateful for how gracious my mom was. Because instead of yelling at me or throwing the chancla, if you know what that means, she sat me down and she goes, Misael, let me just remind you who you are. And I was like, okay. She goes, what you did in that game was not you, and that is not who I raised. And what you did in that whole thing on the bench and hit and kick and all that kind of stuff, Misael, that is not like biblical and that's not who God is and that's not who God created you to be. So let me just remind you who you are. And so she just starts just telling me, this is who you are. You are my son. Act like it. You are a child of God. Act like it. Misael, you, should, you are to have the fruits of the Spirit. So act like it. And so this whole thing of just remember who you are, act like it. And uh, I don't know if you can relate to that. I don't know if you can relate to a Hispanic mom or a friend or someone like pulling you aside and looking at you and saying, hey, remember who you are. Remember who you are and act like it. And as we, as we look at this really odd and really weird passage of scripture together, there's going to be a ton of explanation I'm going to have to do. And uh, honestly, this is really difficult because, I don't know, I, just, I feel like I've never had to pray so much and study so much and just look at this and go, what's going on? But I really think that as we look at this, the focus is that whole statement of remember who you are. Because we're going to be seeing how God is, is really reminding Moses of who he is. And I think God is going to remind us of who we are and is going to remind us of, of how the Old Testament really foreshadows and paints a picture to Jesus and says, hey, this is a, a small picture of what Jesus accomplished. This is a small picture of what Jesus did and his sacrifice. And I just want to remind you, this is kind of what I'm seeing here in this passage we're going to read. I just want to remind you that you are a child of God, so act like it. To remind you who you are because when we remember who we are in Christ, man, that's what leads us to radical obedience. Because this is the last message of this whole uh, sermon series of radical obedience in the everyday. And so I just want to end with, 
with today just saying, if we are going to live and then lead lives in radical obedience, we have to remember who we are. And so in um, Exodus chapter 4, um, we're going to be in verse 24. Verse 24. And uh, I've been debating how much context I need to give you before we read this verse. But I'm going to read it and then give some context. I think that'd be fun. So in verse 24, it just reads like this. I'll read it straight up and then I'll give it some context and probably read it again. In verse 24 of chapter 4 of Exodus, it says, At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Again, you you read this and you're like, what is happening and what is going on? Because the context of all of this and, and just real quick, like, you end Genesis, and you end Genesis with Joseph dying, and then you start Exodus, and you start reading uh, Exodus 1 to 4, and there's just so much that happens in, like, those few chapters. And practically what happens in those few chapters is, you know, Israel begins to just grow in numbers and, and grow in population. And I actually talked to a, a guy from Venezuela uh, this past week, and... Um, he was telling me about the whole situation in Venezuela, but he told me, he goes, hey, I grew up with like 13 brothers and sisters. And I was like, whoa, that's a ton. He goes, yeah, man, that's what happens when you don't have TV. And I was like, <laughs> like, thank you for letting me know. All right, so buy TV. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but Israel had just grown in number and like the people who are now in power in Egypt were just getting scared. They're like, man, it, like Israel's getting really big to where like, if there's a war, they might beat us. And so what they do is, is they enslave the people of Israel and they enslave them and they start making them do these things. And then they also put this decree that's like, okay, if you're a Hebrew woman, a Jewish woman, an Israelite, like if you have a male, you just got to kill him. And we're going to make sure that happens. And so in the midst of all of this, you have Moses that is born. And again, he's sent down the river and Pharaoh's daughter picks him up. And then he's raised in this Egyptian home, and then he becomes this leader, and then he's walking around, and then he sees this Egyptian guy just really beaten up on, on uh, an Israelite, and he gets mad, and he kills him, and then Moses goes, oh, man, they're probably going to find out that I killed this guy, so I'm just going to run away. So he runs away, finds a wife. And then in the midst of all of that, he encounters God, uh, and he encounters God in the burning bush. And then he sees God do these really miraculous things while he's at the burning bush. Um, And then God commissions Moses to go back to Egypt. He goes, hey, the people that probably would have wanted to kill you are gone, so go to Egypt and let my people go and, and set them free. So Moses has his assignment. And Moses is on his way to Egypt. Like he's on his way to his assignment. Everything's fine. Like he's obeying the Lord. Like and he's a little hesitant, you know, because he's human and he's Moses. But, you know, he's, he's, he's like, hey, I'm going to obey the Lord. And he's going and he takes his wife and his two sons. Everything looks perfectly fine. He's in God's will and God's purpose. And then you get to these verses again. To where again in verse 24 it says, at the lodging place on the way, on the way to Egypt, the Lord met Moses and it was about to kill him. And so as we read this and, and we try to process this, there's just so much like 
to talk about, and there's so many questions. And some of those questions is, is like, why does God try to kill Moses? Like, since when does God try? You know, like if God wanted to kill him, he just, bam, you're done. Like, since when does God try to kill someone? And maybe another question you have is like, what is up with this whole, like, uh, circumcision thing? Like, what does that have to do with anything? And then, you know, you, you read scholars and it's just weird because, like, no one really talks about this passage. They just kind of skip over it. They're like, oh, yeah, that happened. And then Moses got to Egypt and it was awesome. It was great. The plagues and everything. But we want to focus here because I think this is a, a small little portion of where God is using things and using this circumstance to remind Moses of who he is. So again, I just want to point back to that focus of remember who you are. And so today I'm going to do a ton of explanation and I'm going to try my best not to bore you. I'm going to try to be animated and stuff and I might jump off the stage just to get your attention maybe. But there's just so much to unpack here and a lot of explanation. And and my goal is to help us see the text and explain the text, but also apply it because I know when we read that, you're like, how in the world do I apply that to my life? And so I'm going to try my very best to do that. And so one of the things, again, some more context in all of this is that when we look at this time frame and we look at that, that Moses grew up as an Egyptian, well, the Egyptians really... Uh, didn't do circumcision the way that the Israelites did. Uh, the way that they did it was if you hit puberty or if you're about to get married, that's when the circumcision happened. And it wasn't like a full circumcision. It was just like a, like a slight circumcision. Um, and so it was just different. And, and I just want to just let you know I'm a picture guy, but I'm not going to show any pictures. Okay? I'm like no pictures. So, so okay, just let you know right now. Um, and so... When we look at all of this and we look at this comparison, we need to first answer the question, why is circumcision such a big deal? Because Moses was literally on his deathbed and his wife's reaction is not, let's go get medicine. His wife's reaction is like, we need to circumcise our son. And you're like, okay, what? And so why is circumcision such a big deal? Well, again, Moses grew up as an Egyptian. We understand the culture of Egyptian culture when it comes to circumcision. And so maybe Moses forgot or maybe Moses never heard of something really important that God did with Abraham or Abram and then Abraham because he changed his name in Genesis 17. And so, again, I want you to just read with me Genesis 17 verses 4 to 9 and I'll read it for us too. This is the promise that God made to Abraham and to the Israelites that's going to help us understand why is circumcision such a big deal in this story. So in Genesis 17, verses 4 to 9, it says this. <clears throat> when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him in verse 4, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. So here's the promise, right? No longer will you be called Abram, you will be Abraham. For I have made you father of many nations. Anybody singing the song yet? Verse 6, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. 
I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you, and check this out, your descendants after you for generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And then verse 8, the whole land of Canaan, where you are now reside as a foreigner, I will give you an everlasting possession to your descendants and after you, and I will be their God. Okay, so this is the covenant of God that, he, that he's giving to now Abraham. So he's giving it to him, and then he continues on in verse 10 and says, let me give you a sign that I'm going to keep this promise, and let me give you a sign, a physical representation of this promise. So here's the physical representation. God could have chosen anything, but he chose this, and uh, God does what he wants. In verse 9 it says, Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. And then here it is. This is the covenant that you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision. And it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Then verse 12. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old. Okay, little baby. Must be circumcised. Including those born in your household. Or, brought, or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be everlasting covenant. Any, and, and this is so important right here, any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Okay, so this is, this is why circumcision is so important because it is this physical sign of this promise of this covenant that God had given to Abraham and his people and the descendants. It's this physical representation that truly sets Israel apart from everyone else. Because again, you have this culture of the Egyptian culture that they circumcised either in, pu in puberty or when they got married. You have other cultures that just didn't do it. And so here you have God just setting apart his people once again. Once again. I'm not showing you pictures, all right? Just, I'm just throwing that out there. But again, I'm really trying to just help us understand what this means and why it's, it's so important. And, and understand why in the world is this uh, something that God wants us to learn from. And so again, I hope you noticed in Genesis uh, 17, especially in verse 14, that said anyone who did not do this would be cut off. And so I hope these two verses are beginning to make a little bit more sense of, of Zipporah's response and, and why she was like, oh man, instead of getting the medicine, I should probably go circumcise our kid that's not circumcised yet. And so here in these two verses... Um, it's just interesting, again, you have God that brings upon some kind of illness, brings upon some kind of thing to Moses to where he is on his deathbed and he's dying, he's on the brink of death. But you see, Moses was this man that God had chosen to go to Egypt and set free the circumcised people of God. Moses was, was this man chosen by God to go and set free the set-apart nation of God. But 
as Moses is on the way, he is reminded that he has forgotten something. He is reminded that he has forgotten who he is. He is reminded that his, in his own family, they were not following the covenant of God. So he was over here sent to go free the circumcised people while he had an uncircumcised son. And so it's almost like you can tell, and as you piece this together, you can tell that maybe Moses and Sapporah have had this conversation before. And it's almost as if God used this illness and the sickness and him almost, almost dying as a demonstration and as a warning. Because again, if God would have wanted to kill Moses, he would have done it. But instead, he used this sickness and this illness and him being at the brink of death as a demonstration and as a warning of saying, man, you're about to free my, my circumcised people while you haven't even followed my covenant. You've broken my covenant even with, with your own son. And it's interesting to me that it's Moses who gets sick. It's interesting to me that it's not his wife's support that gets sick and Moses is the one having to go circumcise their kid and then, and then keep going. And again, we don't have a ton of information, but if we piece things together, it's possible that maybe Zipporah had some kind of part in playing of their kid not being circumcised. And so, again, you have Moses sick, he's at the brink of death, and, and Zipporah recognizes and goes, oh man, I know why Moses is like this. I, I know why he's sick and I know why he's literally incapable and literally can't move and can't do anything. So I'm the one who has to go and do this. And so the circumcision happens and, and it's just so cool because she does that and, and practically just says, Lord, here you go. And God accepts it. And he goes, okay, thank you. Thank you for, for keeping my promise and and Zipporah says something really weird um, in verse 25. It says that she took the flint knife and, and cut off her son's foreskin and, and touched it to Moses' feet. And then she says this, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. Again, there's just a lot of really smart people and scholars that are like, yeah, I have no idea what that means. And I go, okay, well, neither do I. But as we try to piece it together, it's almost as if, Zipporah was acknowledging to God and to Moses and looking at Moses and saying, remember who you are. Remember that you are part of this covenant people. Remember your bloodline. Remember that you come from the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and even Joseph. Like, remember that this is your bloodline. Remember who you are. Remember the covenant. Remember that you are part of this covenant people. Remember that you are literally set apart and you are meant to live and to act and to speak as one who is from that bloodline, as one who is a child of God. So act like it. And so when we look at all of this, I know it seems odd at first and it's just weird, but I hope it's beginning to make a little bit of sense of, of why this happened. Because it's almost like God just stopped Moses in his tracks and said, hey, you got to get yourself right and your family right before you go and, and set my people free. And so as we just look at uh, a way this connects to the New Testament, um, I want you to, to just recognize that as we look at this radical obedience in the everyday, really radical obedience began sacrificially. Radical obedience began sacrificially. And the reason I say this is because I want you to just look at Jesus. 
who is the son of God. Man, and he was radically obedient to God the Father. And he humbled himself and he came to this earth to sacrifice himself for all people. For all people. So that everyone who is created by God can become a child of God when they surrender to him and put their faith and trust in him. And you see when that happens, we are circumcised spiritually in our hearts. It's no longer this, this physical circumcision, this, this physical setting apart But because Jesus broke his body and shed his blood, now we are spiritually set apart. We are spiritually circumcised. And and now the mark on us is the Holy Spirit and not circumcision. And now for us, when we see that, man, God did that and, and and, and he circumcised our heart in order for us to put away anything that was unpleasing to God. And so I just want to read Colossians chapter 2 for you, uh, verses 9 to 15. Because this helps us and allows us to see this connection to the New Testament, this connection to Jesus. And it says this, verse 9, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision, and here it is, not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith and in working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us and has taken it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and the authorities and made public uh, spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So again, right here so clearly it shows us that with Jesus we have this circumcision of the heart that has set us apart because he has paid uh, the debt for us. And one of the things I just want us to recognize that I wish, I wish Moses would have recognized even more is that it is a blessing to obey the Lord. It is a privilege to obey the Lord. It is a privilege and, and, and a blessing to do that because that means that we are part of his family, his familia. It means that we are his children. And it's just amazing to be able to know him and to love him and to obey him. And so if we are these people that have put our faith and trust in Jesus and our hearts are circumcised, man, I want to look at you and I want to look at us and and ask the same question that, that we can ask right here in verses 24 and 25. Do you remember who you are? Do you remember who you are in Christ? Do you remember who you are and in whose you are? Do you remember that your true identity is not in what you think. Your true identity is not in what you feel. Your true identity is not what others say about you. Your true identity is not even what you do. Your true identity is literally in Christ, being a child of God. And I think there needs to be moments in our life where we're acting a certain way, saying a certain thing, and we just have to recognize, man, is that really who I am? 
And so I don't know what you've done this week or this month or this year. I don't know what you've said. I don't know what you've thought. But in this moment, it's almost as if God is just asking us and telling us, remember who you are. Remember who you are in me. Because you've done this, you've said this, and that's not who you are anymore. You are my child. And so that's a direct application, but... Really, another direct application I want us to get from this is that radical obedience begins privately. So again, if there is this circumcision of the heart now and not physical, then radical obedience to the Lord and obedience to him, it begins privately. And you see, everybody, and we've talked about this in the past couple Sundays, everybody loves to talk about, you know, this radical obedience to go to Australia or radical obedience to go to Africa or radical obedience to go and do something crazy. But we really don't like to talk about how sometimes the radical obedience is doing those small things that no one does and sometimes it's really hard to do. Those small things of surrendering your life, those small things of saying, I'm going to surrender my time to the Lord. I'm going to surrender my, my longing and, and my, my flesh to him so I can live in the spirit and I can truly do those really simple things that seem really hard to do. Like for Moses, it was such a simple thing for him to circumcise his son. But for us, it's such a simple thing to read the word and to be in prayer. Yet for some reason, it is just so hard. And that's all of us, me included. But again, we are no longer to live in the flesh, but to live in the spirit. And again, you see Moses, he was, a, he was on his way to go radically obey the Lord publicly and radically obey the Lord in front of everybody and be able to, um, you know, talk to the Pharaoh at the time and stand in front of everyone and all that kind of stuff. But before that, he had to obey the Lord privately in his own life and in his own family. He had to get things right in his own heart and in his own family. And so as we remember who we are, really the question is, what are we doing? What are we saying? What are we thinking privately? Because really that's one of the most important things because if there's no integrity, if there's no private obedience to the Lord, then whenever we publicly obey God, it's just really fake. And my friends and in familia, I don't want to be fake. We should not be fake. And so if you're a believer in the room, then my, my plea, and again, what, what God is saying to us is just remember who you are. And here's what remembrance does, and I, and I just don't want us to miss this. Remembrance leads to repentance. Remembrance always leads to repentance because we remember who God is, we remember who we are, and then we remember what we need to do. What is that? That's repent before the Lord. That's repent and say, man, Lord, I recognize who you are and who I am. And then, and then what I love is, is because of who Jesus is, maybe, maybe you're in here and you're, you're encountering the Lord and, and you're beginning to recognize, you know, I really don't know who I am. I really don't know 
like why I was created. I, I really don't know um, any of those things. And you see what's so amazing about Jesus is that he confronts us through the Holy Spirit and he says, man, let me show you who you are. Let me show you that I can save you. Let me show you that I can transform you. Let me show you that you can have a true, true identity in me. And so today we are confronted with that statement of remember who you are. And so what I wanna do is, is just spend some time in prayer and uh, I wanna go ahead and just ask you to stand up with me. We've been through a lot of explanation and we've been through a ton of context and history. And so thank you for bearing with me. But this is, this is really important for us to wrestle with passages that are really difficult. And so in this moment, I just wanna pray and, and I want you to pray with me <clears throat> and really look into your heart and say, Lord, like maybe I have forgotten who I am. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we come before you just humbled, humbled that sometimes we, we read your word and we just go, what in the world? Lord, Lord, thank you for how beautiful your word is and how it connects. Lord, it's amazing to see how Exodus connects to Genesis and Exodus connects to the words of Jesus and how Exodus connects to Colossians. But Lord, in all of this, you have caused us to think and, and to process and to hear you and to hear you literally just look at us and say, remember who you are. Lord, I pray that remembrance would lead us to repentance. So in this moment as individuals, as groups of people, as family, Lord, I pray that you would help us see in our hearts and our minds the things that we have said and done in thought that are not like you. Lord, because I can just see you just looking at us and saying, you are my child, act like it. What you have done is not what I have taught you. What you have said is not what we have talked about. You have learned that from somewhere else. That is your flesh. So Lord, I pray that we would be a people who live in the spirit, who act like children of God. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to help us in that because we are so weak. Lord, thank you how every single verse and every single passage in your word points to you and shows us how much we need you. God, I pray that we would be a people who truly obey you privately when no one is looking so that you can use us publicly. Lord, I pray that you'd give us integrity, that we would learn from, from your word. Lord, as we finish this, this series of radical obedience, I pray that you'd help us radically obey you in those simple things that to the world seem radical. But truly, Lord, it's the simple things of being in prayer, being in your word, living in community, and giving you the most valuable thing that we have, and that's time. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.